Welcome to Free Range America. Are we again, Trevor, we're starting. We're starting. We're starting. Did, did you already this. record me? We're starting. <laughs> God, this. I'm an asshole. Right now. So, uh, Lucas, first time. My look man. at that. My man. What's up, guys? Holy shit. How many episodes of this do you think you've listened to? All of them. <laughs> All of them. So, how many are there? So he has officially listened to more Free Range Americans than I have because I still call both of us probably I still call him launch code. Yeah, that's old school. Launch code was like a really that was our first non-drinking bros podcast mm-hmm. launch code. So if you're interested to go back to through the archive, you can go check those out. We did interviews with business leaders and different different guys all the time. We health, actually health book writers. We actually did an interview with my partner back in the day, uh, Stephen Tazlitz. Uh, and uh, it's funny because like recently we were like exposed as having partners. I was like, dude, he was on my podcast. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you, old, can go you can go it. listen to that podcast if you want. Like, oh my God, you caught me. Holy shit. Or ask Lucas. He's, he's listened to it already. Yeah. Or, Not that I remember. Not that I listened to it. I remember about a week ago. That's where it cuts <laughs> off. Perfect. Just yeah. to be refreshing. So, uh, so I, I'm excited. So I, I think Lucas and I have an announcement to make on this podcast. What do you think? We have a pretty big announcement to make. Yeah, I know. Literally a life. We're leaving our wives. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we're running off together. It's going to be gonna amazing. Run off together. It's going to be awesome. He's promised to be Big Spoon, which I've always wanted. Like which Yoda, is, but like Yoda. Yeah. Like Big Spoon, but little. Yeah. Like well, Yoda. I consider him a backpack. Yeah. So it's like, like a little backpack. Why don't go with a little backpack? I like hanging out with Lucas because it reminds me of uh, when I used to go to school with my dad. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> we'd be walking in and out of places and he's like 10 feet taller than me. So it's like... Well, the best part is when we were filming, I was up here right before the hunt that y'all went on. We went to... Uh, uh, where did we... Was it Bass Pro? Or no, yeah. It was, yeah, it was Bass Pro. Cabela's. We were, oh, Cabela's. Cabela's. We were in... Uh, I always get those two confused. We were in Cabela's and everybody... Ke- was walking up, talking to me, thinking that I was Evan's security. And <laughs> true. It's, it's went, possibly and, true. And they're just like, is it okay if I tell? I was like, I'm just here. Like, I'm not security or anything. I'm just hanging out with God, them. you missed out. You should have been like, yeah, 10 bucks. Ten, yep. Ten, $10 to <laughs> yes, say hi. $10. I just think it's kind of funny that people, for some reason, think that maybe I've like reached that type of baller status where I have... Or that you actually need it? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have a That's second... That's one that gets me. I, not... Not that I want to boast or or be braggadocious, but I have a sub-second draw from the appendix it's concealed. Just, like people data. can fuck off. Look, Evan, it's data. It's yeah. not boasting. You're right. It's just it's data. I've seen it. So it's, it's just data. It's okay. And now with uh, these new STIs, because I've, I've got some uh, STIs for... I, I spent part of uh, my personal money so I spent my money buying STIs for some people in the company as bonuses. That's cool. Uh, just like I did Noveskis a couple of years ago. So we still have a few of those left. But That's um, also cool. Uh, but now with that thing, because the, the full-size STI that I've been carrying, man, that thing can be a bit burdensome at times, especially when you're running an extended bag and a flashlight and a bunch of other stuff. But... We're not here to talk about my guns. <laughs> We're here to talk. Well, I mean, we can talk about anything we want. Literally Those anything you want. Um, but I that 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 Glock forty three from 
the fanny pack, mm-hmm. man, it's a good rig because you can carry a couple extra mags in there. You can like throw your lickies and chewies and your, you know, today. Everything fits nice and tight. It fits nice and tight. There's a bunch of pockets. I forget my mask everywhere I go for the most part because one, I think it's fucking ludicrous. I do. I think it's fucking insane because it, one, I've already had it. I can't get it fucking twice. I can't give it to anybody. You're a daywalker. Daywalkers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, Hey, that's an update for FRA, by the way. I, so I had COVID a few weeks ago. No shit. No shit. Lived back to doing uh, jumping jacks. Uh, so the experience with COVID is not really an interesting story, but I'll tell it either way. Um, I tested negative twice on those rapid tests that, that everybody takes like the swab in the nose and mm. you know some 16 year old comes out and like they're supposed to be a medical professional I've heard this story and I'm like shoves it up to your <laughs> yeah, brain I'm like hey man I really feel like I have it just so you know and I'm I'm not a you know hypochondriac or any of those things like I, I'm like I'm a regular person I really think I have it because I was in a room with another guy that is positive. And then just like three days later, I started feeling bad. Nope. Negative. And I'm like, fuck. But then I, then it was like one day and I started feeling great. I was like mm. one day. Oh, so maybe I don't have it. Like, right? I'm I started feeling great. I'm fucking awesome. This is it. You know? And then I started feeling bad again. So then I went and got another test. Negative Did you lose again. your taste, smell, any of that? No. So I didn't get a cough. I didn't lose my <laughs> taste or smell. Uh, I had like really bad muscle cramps and night sweats. Like I, I was- Headache? I've heard really little bad bit. headaches or like like vision hurts. Like as if it's a migraine. Kind of. I don't know. I don't, I've never had a migraine, which I'm one of those lucky few people that have never had a migraine, which, you know, knock on wood. They're fine. But I, I didn't lose any of those things. So, but to rewind, so I'm talking to uh, my- uh, Greg, who works here in finance, and he's like, my, my wife works as a PA. She does research for COVID. There's nothing going around. There's no flu. There's no cold. There's nothing going around. So if you're sick, you have a thing. You have COVID. <laughs> so he said, you need to go get a, a real, like, in depth PCR test. And, yeah, one. exactly. So once I did that, then it was positive. My so I was around my wife, my kids every day. By the time I tested positive, I was almost over it. And so I was, I was in and around my kids and my wife because I was like feeling bad and then I wasn't. And I was feeling bad and then I wasn't. So it was really inconsistent too. And it's also like cold season, normal yeah. sickness season. Well, and we have really horrible air quality here in Salt Lake. So if you're yeah. really congested and you feel like you might have a cough, it could be from Heavy the, fucking, the, the, air. the air, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's my story. My kids, my wife, nobody else got it, by the way. Uh, I didn't lose my taste, smell, anything like that. Didn't have a cough. I, I literally, this is my cough from COVID. One cough. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that, that that was it. So you're the Terminator. Um, uh, I don't know. I just think that um, you can't get it twice. So, and I'm not, per, I'm not telling people what to do with their lives. I don't fucking give a shit. Like you can wear a mask. You can not wear a mask. You can wear a fucking Batman mask. This is America, as far as I'm concerned. Wear whatever the fuck you want to wear. Yeah. Well, wait, but Batman mask when I work. see That's... people wait, in their cars by themselves wearing a mask, and I know everybody said this a thousand times, and I've said it on the podcast too, but yeah. it, it does drive me a little bit crazy because 
who are you protecting yourself from? Are you protecting yourself from yourself by wearing a mask? Or the person is walking down the street with a mask on with nobody else around them. I, I just find it really strange that it, who who are who are they protecting? It like hurts my head. I don't even like get angry or upset anymore mm-hmm. or frustrated. It's just like I saw a cyclist. Me out. I saw a cyclist when I was running yesterday with a mask on. No, no, we see him all the time. Alone. Yeah. yeah it was 5 30 at night. I'm like, bro, you're not gonna run it. Like I'm I'm one of one person you're gonna see in the next 10 miles on the sidewalk. It's and up 30, here, it's 35 and up degrees. Here, it's pretty intense. It's 35 too. degrees out. Like, why are you riding a bicycle? Let's start there. And with a mask on? I don't know what's going on. I think it's weird that a, I, and maybe it's, we could call it a health precaution mm-hmm. or a, um, the pandemic just in general, right? The, the, like, the COVID in general being politicized. I think it's weird. I think that is weird. And it's ultimately negative for our society because now, when you politicize something that is a health issue, it's really hard for people to discern between what is right or wrong or what I should do based on what my party line is. They will do what the line in the sand on their side says to do, period. Yeah. If if you need to foment anger, that's what you're going to do. If you're going to panic, you're going to do that. And both sides are gaslighting each other oh on, my this, God. on this mask issue. It's crazy. You know, wear a mask everywhere you go. Like, I don't care if you're getting out of bed to go to the bathroom, wear your mask. You know, it's like, I live alone in the mountains of Wyoming and you want me to wear a mask when I go to the bathroom. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't or know. people putting masks on in profile pictures. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, those are awesome. God, don't even awesome. see you have a mask on in a profile photo. I'm instantly like... You're a douche. I, that's what I think. Kind of I think you're kind of a douche. Because yeah. again, it's not the matter. It's being forced to do something. Period. Like just period. you have to do this. And and if you don't, then people automatically assume they know everything about you. Right. Because you don't. Maybe it's because I have common sense, not because I walk around with MAGA on my shit everywhere right. I go. Which you do. I've seen it. Day, oh. It seems like. Right? Okay, I would start to keep my business. <laughs> Guys, that is not true. He's just true. joking. It's just Black Rifle Coffee is actually what you wear. That's uh, uh, just as dangerous now, time. though. I mean, You're even thinking. wearing just Black Rifle, it's just yeah. as dangerous. Well, I think that it's interesting. Not really. <laughs> I, I think that it's interesting that people have, one, politicized this. And two, if we've learned anything, we we, we really shouldn't be listening to politicians just just in general because they're going to politicize everything so if you're getting your health information from politicians it's probably a, a it's, it's probably a bad road for you to take mm-hmm. now I, I completely agree with a lot of the political stance on the shutting down of businesses and things like that like you know we have as a society is is some of these states and cities these these areas they have ruined small business they've I read a statistic not too long ago that 30% of small business is not coming back because of this. And there are a few people out there that I think are beating the drum for this where they're saying, hey, the long-term damage, economic damage of this is going to affect families much more than the health effects of the pandemic. So, and, and, and there's really no discernible reasons or or 
factual information that can substantiate why. So you can go to Home Depot and you can go to Costco and you can stand in line and you can do those things. Those are legal. You can go to like Walmart and all those places. You can ride on an airplane. You can ride on an airplane. On a bus. Literally. You can ride the bus. 12 inches away from someone. You can ride the bus. Yeah, you can ride the bus. But you can't go to a restaurant and have dinner even besides of your own free will. Even besides yeah. a restaurant. Like let's let's even throw restaurants out of there because okay. you might be in there for an hour and a half or two hours. Whatever. Doesn't matter. You necessarily are probably near people that are also at another table immobile. So okay. Toss restaurants out. Fucking clothing stores? Yeah. What's going on here? Like we're we're gonna shut down some of these businesses that can actually mitigate the amount of people inside? Sure. That's insane. That's full on insanity. I, I I don't quite understand it. I guess that's my that's my thing is I'm not smart enough to quite like wrap my head around what's happening and because you have so many different conflicting agendas and some of them are business agendas, they're economic agendas, some of them are control and power. You've got all these different conflicting agendas, right? And people are going to spin their narrative to whatever their agenda is. Yeah. So for instance, my agenda is always freedom. Like that's that's what I want. I, that's what I typically beat my drum just for. Just across the board. Like just across yeah. the board. Like let's leave. Let's live like happy, fulfilling lives and do like really rad shit. Mm-hmm. Have really good friends. Have a strong family. Have all these different connections. So when you're inhibiting that, like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? So when you're inhibiting that that becomes a constitutional and ultimately it does become kind of a decision that we have to make as a society as to what type of a society, what type of country we want to be. Shutting down small businesses is fucking insane to me. <laughs> like it and, is and moving, insane. And moving the goalposts, right? Like, like, oh, they, like they did shit. in New York. They're like, you know what? Shut down for two weeks. Never mind. How about three months? Okay, yeah. you can open up again if you have outdoor seating. Oh, thanks for paying that money to have outdoor seating. Never mind, restaurants are closed. Period. Right. Like, yep. Back, back that train up. Ticket just off the tracks. Like that's ridiculous. You are destroying people's lives forever. And there are a lot of restaurant owners that are family-owned, like places that poured all their money into their employees, so their employees wouldn't be on the fucking street over Christmas and Correct. Thanksgiving. And now they're bankrupt. And their after employees are still the on the right street after, after trying, trying to do, to do the, right the right thing. thing take people, care like, of people. Let's be a hundred percent clear. Small business owners tend to do the right thing by their employees far more often than large corporations <laughs> and bureaucratic institutions. Cause those places don't give a shit. Because most people with a small business who want to go through the struggle and the stress of starting a business, they're kind of passionate about it. Maybe they Deeply. love what they're doing. Maybe they love that food or they love that product. And their and- employees are their family. Their family. Exactly. And they treat them like that. Exactly. I, I walk through, it's one of my my favorite parts of my day is coming to the office. It's like I get to leave my wife and kids that I love dearly. I love spending time with them. I get to leave that home, come here to a, 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 a secondary family, if you will. It's a high five and joke around and have fun with all these, all these people that work here. And they're rad. They're incredible, exactly. cool people that I really enjoy socializing with. And they're all different. One of the hardest parts about this is losing your ability to, to have an ecosystem as a company, losing your ability to interact socially, which I think is a fundamental need 
for human beings. And they need a positive interaction. And if you can create that as a, in a, as a business owner, which I really tried to do is create a really cool and positive, transparent environment where people can succeed. You truly do love it. So as a, as a business owner, as a guy that like really loves coming to work, I don't get to see everybody. I have to see them on zoom. I have to see them on, you know, different meetings. And by the way, I don't like communicating that way either. It's not my preferred method of communication. Yeah. It's, it's not only the fact that a lot of these regulations are one, they're unconstitutional uh, two, they're being their edicts by the, the, the dumbest people in our society, which I truly believe a lot that of these fucking guys A lot of them idiots. didn't know that they had that much power. No. These governors, and now they know they have that much power and they're not going to give it up. Or mayors or mayors or governors or all these guy, people uh, in throwing out random factoids from Twitter. other, yeah, on their 120 characters or less or whatever the fuck it is. That's where it's coming from. Yeah. Th- I mean, they're not, let's be honest, they're not going home and reading reports from the CDC or the WHO. Well, uh, even even, can, you, even if you are, right, it's, it's almost like the WHO and the CDC has been politicized at this point. So, but they're if not even you, doing that. If you come out and you say things, you know, obviously I think Joe has talked about this a lot too. If you mm-hmm. come out and you're like, hey, you know, take vitamin D, get exercise, stop eating a bunch of sugar. I I, I was having this conversation with uh, somebody uh, who is in the medical field. Don't have these three comorbidities. He goes, mm. yeah. He goes, oh, you have COVID. And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, what? He goes, well, I, I know you. Are you still only eating like meat and vegetables, basically? And I was like, yeah. I mean, it's Christmas. I've had a couple, you know, cookies here and there. And he's like, oh, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, I, you're not obese. You exercise. You eat nothing but meat and vegetables. You I didn't know I had it. Yeah. Like I, I, I went and got my blood work done. They're like, oh yeah, you're good. You already had it. And I was like, what? Oh shit. I Seriously? Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know I had it. I just, one of my buddies, someone I used to work for, he had a doctor come over and they were doing all the blood work. And he was like, do you want to get tested? And I was like, well, I can't afford it. And he was like, well, let's just do it. Okay. Got tested. And two days later, got my blood work back. And they're like, yeah, you're positive. You already had it. And when did you, you don't, I've, do you even know when you I had think it? I think I, I think I had a cold in January was the last time that I was sick until recently. I actually had a cold like maybe a month ago, right. but I felt fine, had no issues, been living life as normal. Damn just super spreader. Going on. Well, I don't <laughs> see anyone. I sit in my garage and make knives all day. Yeah. Let's like, talk about everything. That. Everything we've been talking about yeah, just makes me want to like, all right, guys, let's this is talk fun. about knife forging. Yeah. Now, let's rad. talk about that. Like, this is rad because take that's a, why you're here. Take a detour. Yeah. You forge knives. We had to talk about COVID for a couple minutes. Oh, we, had we had to. You have to cover it. You got it. it. Cool. Welcome uh, to now and yeah. moving on. So, knives. Lucas has been. I think, I mean, we've been friends for well over a year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a lot, a few collabs with you, but tell us your story. Like, I, I want to know your story from you. We got a long podcast, dude. You don't have to fucking leave anything out. Well, where do you want to, where do you want to start? Let's start, uh, you know, you're in the military. Let's, yeah. let's just, let's just start where you grew up and then, you know, uh, how you got up, into the military. And grew stuff. up in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, one of six Lucky. Children. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> Georgia, holding strong. Okay. Okay. Back on. Moving on. Moving on. Um, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, just north of Atlanta, Woodstock. 
Uh, one of six children, uh, was raised incredibly sheltered, uh, homeschooled, Southern Baptist, to the point of, to lay it out there, I couldn't even listen to Christian music if it had drums, electric guitar. First thing, first CD I Solid. ever stole was a CD, DC Talk. And it's I couldn't listen to it because they rapped. I like what you said, which is the first CD I ever stole. First CD, <laughs> first CD I ever stole. And I hid it and I had to hide a Christian CD. Wow. So that was the beginning. Um, church, seven days a week, legitimately. Seven days a week? Yeah, well, I was- What? I got, I got, I didn't really, know they had service seven days a week. Well, it wasn't seven days a week. I got really involved in programs mm-hmm. because I was like, well, if I have to do this and this is my way of life, cause it's all right. I knew I wanted to do things that gave back. So I did 47 mission trips, um, throughout my youth, Alaska, seven times, Mexico, multiple different States in the U S I was on a hurricane relief team. I used to be able to sing, was on a choir, ensemble, just anything I could do instead of just sitting in a pew, right? getting preached at. It was like, okay, I'd rather do stuff. Right. Like, can I give back? Can I actually get out with the salt of the earth and do cool shit? Luckily, I, we were members of like a mega church, which had a lot of outreach programs. So that was pretty rad. But uh, yeah, dad um, lost my father in 2001 to a drunk driver. And that was really like the big shift. That was when... My life like altered forever because we were very blessed. My dad was a, an unbelievable human, um, master electrician, master woodworker, grew up in the shop with him because he would get off work and then go play in his shop and make shit. Right. Like we were not wealthy. I didn't even have my own bedroom until the military. It was the first time I shared, had like my own space. And I still had to wait two years till I got ranked to yeah, get exactly. my own bedroom. Yeah. Um, so, but... Even not being wealthy or any of that, it was a really good home because my dad put so much into us. He didn't watch sports. I don't know shit about sports. If you put a gun to my head right now and said to name 10 pro athletes, I can name 10 people I worked for. And that's it. Those are literally the only, I I don't know shit about sports. And for him, it was camping. Right. Anytime we had any free time, we were camping. And then when he passed away, I was, I would want to say right around 13. And that's like that pivotal moment where guy needs like a dad. Yeah. yeah. And my mom has some mental health issues and stuff and just kind of went off the deep end when he left. And she and I started fighting a lot. It got really, really ugly. And my, my schooling, my education stops at about seventh grade um, because I needed to have structure. I need to have someone to tell me, Hey, this is what I expect from you. This is what needs to get done. Here's the school. Do it. For me, it was, here's my lesson plan. Have it done by Friday. And Oh, by the way, all your grade books are right here on the same shelf. Okay. Write everything down. School's done. First day. And that was it. So I cheated from seventh grade up. Um, decided, hey, I want to do something. I want to get out of the house. I was tired of fighting with my mom. I wanted to be on my own. Oh, I'm going to be a sheriff because they, you could start at 18. Right. I was getting close to 18. Found out that if I did that, I couldn't do any of the cool sheriff stuff until 21. I would just be working in a prison. Right. And I was like, that doesn't sound fun. I'm going to go to the recruiter office. So I went to recruiter, joined the army. Right before, two days before shipping off, I got mono, which destroyed me. Six months I was out. I didn't even get out of bed for almost three months. Wow. And I was already skinny. I joined the army at six foot seven, 145 pounds. What? Whoa. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, I'm 285 pounds right now. Yeah. God, you were shaped You're like this. 
Yeah, Michael. I had to gain 20 pounds in basic before I was allowed to graduate. Solid. And so basic already, you don't want to stick out. You want to be the guy that like, no, the Joe Sarns never know your name. Right. That's all I ever heard was, if the Joe Sarns never know your name, you're good. Right. Well, already I'm taller than everybody and I'm an absolute beanpole. So at Chow, I still remember my roster number, 233. I'd get called up. That's one of the only things I remember. Get called up and I would get put at the front of the Chow line. And I would go in, they would sit me down, cake, ice cream, fried chicken, bro, everything you could imagine <laughs> was force fed. And while everyone else is getting screamed at, yeah, yeah. while everyone else is getting screamed at and fucked with, I'm at the table at the front that you have to walk by. Sure, everybody Just, loved you. Oh, it gets better. So <laughs> I have to eat all this food and everyone's getting fucked with. Then you go out and you know you get smoked right after. Yeah. So... I dropped down with everyone and I was throwing up within five minutes. For sure. Because they just shoved so much food in me. Yeah. So then about a week into basic, they carried a little chair and I had to carry a chair when I would go to chow and the chair would lean on the outside of the chow hall. We would finish eating. Then I would take that chair and I'd have to sit into it, sit in it next to the drill sergeants. And I wasn't allowed to get smoked for two hours. <laughs> so right. now while everyone's getting <laughs> fucked with, I'm sitting in a chair this is a nightmare. This is like, would you like your son to be bullied? Oh, and <laughs> here's some and instructions. Let's, and let's also and let's also add, I'm the most sheltered human on the face of the planet. Never drank, never smoked. I just kissed a girl for the first time, like in nothing. basic. No, no, no. Solid stuff. I don't know what just happened. Um, but I, I knew nothing, so it was like the first time that I was trying to fit in. I was trying to fit in so bad. Like, I just wanted to be normal. Right. And so now automatically everybody hates me. I'm getting fucked with. Like, basic sucked dick. So luckily was able to gain weight and then moved on from there. But... Yeah, what was your MOS? What, it, what I was, was 11. Job? So I was uh, 11 Bravo when right. I joined in with a RIP contract. Yeah. Went through basic, went straight to airborne. After airborne, went straight to RIP, graduated RIP. Um, and then my wonderful battalion career was cut short because I did not snitch on two team leaders and a specialist who got a DUI with me in the vehicle who was supposed to be driving, right? but he would not let me drive when we left the wonderful bars of Columbus, got pulled over, they bailed and I was left and was so terrified of them. I didn't snitch. Yeah. So I got a wonderful RFS. Mm -hmm. um, but because of what happened, I will say um, <clears throat> my squad leader at the time was really cool about it. And instead of sending me to Fort Polk, where I was supposed to go, oh God, uh, because I got shipped over to Worldwide, which right. is a wonderful group of people in leaving battalion. Um, he knew a buddy over in DC in the old guard and was like, get up there. At least you're not going to go to Polk. Yeah. Do a quick little contract, then you can go wherever you want from there. Right. They'll send you to some cool schools. Cause and I just I didn't know anything. I was just like, okay, I everything is ruined for me. Like my whole career so far right. sucked. So went to DC and then I was in the presidential honor guard for two and a half years. Um, started off in the presidential marching platoon, did 527 funerals in the first year in Arlington Cemetery. What year was that? Uh I was in DC 2007 to end of, let's see, seven, right at the end of no, 2009. Um, so yeah, I went straight to Arlington, uh, did that. And then I went to CCG, which is uh, uh, the Continental Color Guard. Uh, tried out for CCG. <clears throat> I failed my first tryouts. Uh, 
<laughs> CCG is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. Um, just because people shit on the old guard a lot, but they don't realize how much that shit sucks. Tomb guards and CCG, the training for those guys is pretty intense. When I went through first day, uh, you do a 13 mile run. You have about 30 minutes to eat because everybody runs in DC. It's right. all about being yeah. skinny, looking the exact same. And you're in the capital, which right. all of your PT is off post. Mm -hmm. So like your five mile run is bridge to bridge. You come through Key Bridge, come through Georgetown, back on the base. It's beautiful. Plus, I love I love <clears> that city. It's an awesome city. No, to it, run really, in. it it's really awesome. is. Like where's really the island? That entire like when, when you're all doing, the sidewalks like, are easy, dude. It's nice there. It's it's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do there. in DC. Yeah. When I when I go there, I'm like fucking a. I know I'm gonna get the like best a shape five, of my life. six, seven run mile run because you. Go down to the mall, fucking yeah. hit all of like, you know, you and can, we would dude, time you go our through runs. all the memorials. It's rad. It's, and then you have so awesome. many colleges up there. Yeah. So we would time our runs around like the Georgetown female track teams. Yes, absolutely. So you yeah, would that's run, run with. See, me. this is some young army thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty, it was pretty rad. But first, <sighs> first day is 13 mile run, 30 minutes for breakfast. Then you report to the off post room. They have a tiny room about the size of this in here. And the night before they set up four humidifiers. So the temperature in that room with four humidifier steamers, you're sitting at about 106 degrees. You'll get in your greens where you're wearing just your green pants, <clears throat> dress shoes, t-shirt, and then you'll stand at position of attention without moving for three hours at 106 degrees. I mean, I understand well, that makes sense, what they're yeah. doing. And then if you don't yeah. pass, it's called... Uh, so uh, what what is it that gets you eliminated from that? Is it just the fact that you're... Passing out. Yeah, like, oh, passing That's out? It. Yeah. Got it, okay. Yeah, no, no, that's it. No, This is day one. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you'll line up, do three hours at position of attention without moving, and they'll all the guys who've already made it will come in to fuck with you, get in your face, because ceremonial composure is shoved down your throat. Because right. no matter what happens... You don't want to break that. Like if you've got a guy, you're standing there and the guy next to you goes down, you don't move. Right. Like if he's having a stroke and dying, you don't move. Right. Like this is a ceremony. So CCG, those are the guys with the colors. So Daytona 500, Final Four, yeah. presidential inauguration, whatever it is. I did one of the last living members from World War II. In the middle, and you have the army colors and you have flyers, all the battle flyers that hang off. And we go to do the dip for the national anthem. And there's one of the hardest, two times I almost broke ceremonial composure was I did a Tourette's conference where the children sang the national anthem that all had Tourette's. Uh, I bit the inside of my lip so bad that I filled my entire mouth with blood because it was the hardest I've ever not laughed. Right. And it wasn't anything bad. It was just if you could hear children's choir singing mm -hmm. the national anthem and the all had Tourette's. Mm -hmm. It'll get you. Yeah, it'll get you. It, uh, that'll get you. It'll, it'll get you. It'll, it'll, it'll get, get you. It's silly. And then the other one, this gentleman, we go down and this, I think he was 107 when we did the ceremony. Oh, wow. And we hold the colors <laughs> down and the color scanner, his wheelchair was in front of me and he's looking at him and he's just there and he's going. <sighs> and he starts blowing the streamers on my flag. And I feel the Marine next to me. Is, he right, starts yeah. like holding it in like he's trying not to laugh. Second hardest. So three hours. First time I passed out at an hour and or two hours and fifty minutes, just went down. Right. Um, so after you do those three hours, then you have an hour for lunch, and then you do an hour on five minute break for the next six hours, and that's day one. Um, and then training goes for three weeks. And so when I left, no one in history had ever dropped the army colors because not only do we have the army colors, but we also carry the the 
American flag. Right. Um, because the army is the oldest branch. So we have uh, army color guard. We have a bear, the gun, the rifle at the end. American flag armies never dropped on. Uh, I did Admiral Giabastiani's retirement ceremony. Um, and his retirement ceremony was three hours, 10 minutes long. It was 95 degrees in the middle of summer. Everyone wearing full blues, a full procession, full ceremony. Right. And there was over 120 fallouts. Oh, wow. That. It's solid. Um, <clears throat> Navy dropped their colors and Marine went down and dropped his colors. But the whole reason of that is just teaching you, like pushing your body so hard. So when right. you're on those ceremonies that suck ass, you don't drop that flag. Right. Um, so yeah, after that, wanted to deploy and go to a real unit, what I considered a real unit, because I hadn't been there and a lot of my leadership at the time had never deployed. There were right. E8s that had been old guard babies their whole life. So I was like, fuck, I want to go to the first deploying unit, went to re-enlist and got good old third ID Solid. at Fort Benning, Georgia. Yep. So um, went right back to like, Benning. Going home. Went right back to Benning and deployed immediately. Um, met up with a lot of awesome snipers, became close with the sniper team that was uh, with my unit. And then they dragged me over the second we got back. And then I was a sniper section the rest of the time. Rad. Finished out almost at seven years and then did a year and a half of guard. I went actually to a really rad Lurse unit here in Georgia. Well, not here, but in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Uh, and loved every second of it. But I had a hard time balancing civilian life and military. Like I'm an all-in kind of person. I have to be super in it or I don't give it my right. all. So right when I hit like my eight and a half year, I got out. And that was when it was time to figure out what to do next. Well, were you a contractor after that for a yeah, while? Yeah, so that's that's a whole that's a whole nother thing. So had a million jobs getting out, didn't know what I wanted to do, was having a really hard time not finding something I love, but finding people I enjoyed working with. Mm -hmm. I really lost that community and I lost that brotherhood. And my humor was completely different when I came home. Everyone kind of treated me weird. The shit I said was everyone thought incredibly un-PC or was right. And I was like, okay, this kind of sucks. I want to find people. So standard. Yeah. This is the good old sob story of getting out of the military. And, uh, <laughs> Started started uh, security and like literally started the bottom. Was like, okay, whatever I can do. And then realized, okay, these people suck. These yeah. people suck. Moved my way up. Um, started bodyguarding. I started working in nightclubs and bars uh, as security. And then through a really good friend of mine who's a very affluent bodyguard in Atlanta, um, he got me with him and then slowly built a name for myself doing freelance bodyguarding. And then had a client... Um, that I trusted a lot, worked with him for seven years. He was a little Indian guy that would come to Atlanta a lot and uh, fuck you money. Like, because Atlanta is all about clout. Atlanta is all about looking cool. How much money do you spend? How many bottles can you buy? Like we're talking going to a club and dropping forty, fifty thousand dollars Whoa, um, on a fucking night? Yeah. Uh, we did on tabletop and booze. Wow. It's, it's, and it, but it's, and he didn't even drink. It was just, it's, it's just all, it. it's just yeah. all about how right. it looks. So I knew his bodyguard and he was getting a surgery done. Um, and then going back to Africa. So he hooked me up with Jason, started working with Jason and everything went well. Awesome dude listened. Cause when I work, when someone works for me, they need to listen to exactly what I say. Um, if I come up to you and say, Hey, we need to leave. It's because something is about to happen. Right. Um, being good personal security is not, I call it the rappers, the 400 pound big dude who will take bullets for you. Like I'm lucky to have my size, 
but I have the mentality of like a little person. Like I want to get out of there before the bullets start flying. Right. So if you don't want to listen to me, I'm not, you're not going to, I'm not going to work for you. Right. Um, but he was awesome. Uh, had, uh, was on wall street for was quotation from what he told me on wall street for a really long time, had a huge hedge fund. Um, and was just a brilliant, we'd wake up in the mornings and he, cause I was with him five, six days a week. Right. Um, I traveled with him everywhere he went and, uh, he would wake up, do work. I watched him work for hours and hours a day. And then he would go out, do the whole clubbing, partying, all that stuff. Uh, six months into working with him, he was like, come on, man, you need to invest. I want to see you get your own. Cause I wanted my own security company right. at the time. He's like, I want to get you hooked up. We can build you a business. We can do all this stuff, invest. And I, I don't like putting my money into things. That's not a hundred percent guarantee, but I trusted him and I was with him all the time. And I was like, all right. So I invested $50,000 in with him. Um, and then another 25 later. And on that, off the $50,000 I invested, I would get a return on the first of every month of $2,500. So my goal was to take that money and it was a loan. Like that wasn't even my money. So took a loan out for that in two years, have that completely paid off. Now I'm getting a return. It was a no brainer. When I went to do the investment, I had the money. I'll never forget it. Had the money in my hands. He put his hands on mine. And I said, this is the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life, but I trust you. He put his hands on top of my hands and he said, I love you like a son. I'm so proud of you. I can't wait to see where your life goes. Two weeks later, we're held at gunpoint in Nashville, Tennessee by 45 federal uh, agents and the local SWAT team while he is getting bagged and tagged and dragged out of the vehicle we were driving and rushed off because essentially he did the exact same thing Bernie Madoff did. Oh, he was Ponzi scheme. Uh, Name wasn't right. Birthday. Everything I knew about him was a lie. Um, We were literally pulling up to our Airbnb in Nashville because come to find out he knew they were closing in on him and it was not out of the ordinary for this guy to be like we'll be at dinner and he'll go fuck it you want to go to vegas and i'm just like i don't care boss whatever you want to do right now we're going to vegas jump on a private plane leave so one day he's like i've never been out west let's go out west and i was like i'm getting paid 750 dollars a day right so i don't give a shit whatever you say man whatever you want to do i'm down so we load up and he's like well, let's just go. Just start driving. And he was saying some weird stuff. There was a gentleman that was a part of the crew he rolled with that said had gotten a lot of trouble. And he's like, we want to keep him low key. If you want to keep someone low key, how would you do it? <laughs> and I'm like, and oh, I'm just talking to him. Right. I'm like, hey, I don't know. I was like, what do he do? And he was like, well, it's something because he had some friends from, he's from California. And he was like, he had some guys in California that were after him mm-hmm. and just not good people. And this is a little dude that's been hanging out with us the whole time. And I'm like, telling him how to essentially disappear. So we're getting rid of the phone, going straight to different phone for him. And what I didn't realize is Jason was doing everything I was telling him for himself. Got it. So go to Nashville, pull up, and it's this million-dollar neighborhood in Nashville, Tennessee that we were renting. And the the road going into the neighborhood just had a whole bunch of cars parked on it like normal. Right. Get out to meet the lady, and uh, he leans over the seat and just screams, get in the car, get in the car. And jump in the car and he's lying down in the back of the seat and he just goes, go, 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 go. Me doing what I, okay. And I'm driving a brand new Suburban that I had bought and he was paying the car payments, but it was under my name. Take off in it and every single car on that street went and caved in. Oh, nice. People are jumping over fences and within about, and I mean, I did not see it coming from a mile away. And within five minutes, not even five seconds, 
I got a chick with the MP5 at my head through my window. Everybody lined up and they did full call outs and it's wow. stuff that I had done. Yeah, yeah. So you knew overseas. what was going on. Yeah. Well, what got really scary is I was the last person to get called out. Right. Which get the high value target out first. That way, if bullets start coming, you're not yeah, hitting you, the person you're after. Yeah. So call Jason out of the car, call the other guy out of the car, call the passenger out. And now there's just me sitting here shitting my pants (laughs) going, fuck, 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 fuck. And I've got a Glock on my side, a Glock in my door, rifle on my side, because we rolled with minimum $100,000 in cash with us all the time. Wow. Um, That here, and I got a vest on. And I'm listening to the commands. He's got a vest. He's got a vest. Go for head. And I'm just watching dots go up to here. And I'm just like, I'm not doing anything. So the lead, the girl on my side with the MP5 goes, all right, you're going to exit the vehicle. And I was like, and let's call him Mike. I heard right. one name over and over again, which I'm assuming is the lead agent. Right. And I'm like, Mike and the girl goes, shut the fuck up. And he's like, what is it? And I was like, sir, my name is Luke O'Hara. I'm an ex-vet. I'm a bodyguard. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I have a Glock here. I have a gun in my door and a rifle here. I'll do whatever y'all tell me. I don't want to die today. <laughs> Verbatim, that's what I said. And he goes, all right, bud. Thanks for telling us. Do exactly what I say. We're all going to get out of here. And I was like, okay. He goes, you're going to crawl over the console because the gun was in my door panel. He goes, you're going to crawl over the console. You're going to exit on your stomach and you're going to let my guys detain you. I say, yes, sir. He says, all right, start moving. And I go, you can go a little faster. And I was like, yes, sir. And I mean, I got down there, they had dogs, yeah. everything, dudes oh jump on me, God. handcuffed me, picked me up, sit me down. And one of the agents came over because they flew in 14 FBI field uh, agents from, oh God, I'm going to blink now, San Francisco, which is the San Francisco office is what sent the guys down to arrest him. Because apparently he started this in San Francisco, got a little hot. So he moved to Atlanta to do the same thing right. and keep it rolling. So they helped me up and now all the <clears throat> FBI guys are coming over and I was wearing a black rifle shirt under my vest. So oh, I take, God I take it off. It. And one of the guys, one of the guys looks over and he goes, you're a vet. They open up my wallet, found all my IDs, my blue card, carries right. permit, everything. And now all the SWAT team and two of the FBI guys are around me and they're like, do you know anything? And I'm just sitting here and I shit you not, I'm shaking. Right. Like I, it happened so fast and I'm like, no. And they go, and one of the dudes comes over and he goes, so you know nothing. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And all now all the guys are being so fucking nice to me. They came over, took my handcuffs off because they saw all my permits and everything. Right. And they're like, we thought this was going to be a shootout. That we could not figure out why this guy had someone with your background as his bodyguard. So he goes, the one agent goes, you see this? And he looked around at everyone. He goes, this is all for you. (laughs) He goes, goes, we thought we were going to have to shoot you. And I was like, he was like, and one of the other guys that goes, he didn't know. And they're like, he had no idea. They showed me photos. They had been watching me for over six months. Also Jason Bourne. No, but not even. That's why I was like, I'm not even, I don't even have like a crazy, they had photos of me working at the old club I worked at. They had everything. And they were like, we just, they were like, literally in today's briefing, we were all had our fingers crossed that you just somehow got mixed up in this. So now Jason is gone. The second they dragged him out of our car, gone. Half the agents hopped in with him and we still don't know anything. So now I'm sitting here, my Suburban is empty. All our luggage is dumped. $75,000 we had in cash that day. I'll never forget. I had that money in my hand and normally I carried it in my luggage. Right. But that day, Jason goes, hey man, just throw it in my backpack. And I was like, okay, do it in his backpack. 
my bag was the only one that didn't get dumped. So if I had put that money in my bag, everything would have been fine. Right. But I didn't. And so all the FBI leaves, one agent comes over, gets all my information. 30 minutes goes by and now it's just the local PD and a couple SWAT guys. And I'm like, well, uh, all right, guys, that wraps it up. So thank you so much and uh, have a good day. Hopped in their car, drove away. And the three of us are sitting on the sidewalk with our shit everywhere. All the doors in my car opened up and then all my guns neatly unloaded, lined up at my floorboard with the ammo next to it. And that was it. Knew nothing. Next day, so it was a holiday. I think it was Memorial Day. It was whatever one's earlier, Memorial Day or Liberty. I get those two confused. I went straight to the Atlanta FBI field office because he had put money through my bank accounts. Right. I had, a, I was on his black card. So I had my own black card with a $250,000 limit on it, which I used to purchase all of our travel stuff, everything. Right. And I'll be loyal to the fucking grave unless you fuck me over. Then we got problems. And so I went straight to the FBI field office and the agent of the day who was actually in charge of uh, children's crimes uh, came out and I'm like, hey, my name is Luke Hera. I was held at gunpoint by a whole bunch of your guys from California and I want to make sure that I don't get fucked. Who do I need to talk to? So they hooked me up with the blue collar crime agent and told him everything and was just like, I don't know what happened, but here's all my cards. Here's my bank account stuff, whatever you guys need. Fuck this guy because he just took everything of mine. Like I'm screwed. So now I went from completely, because when I was making that kind of money, I paid off all my debt. I paid off everything. I had a decent savings. It was like what I thought was that moment of like, okay, life's getting good. I'm about to start my own business. It's all going to be rad. Now I'm $75,000 in debt. I got a $100,000 car that's in my name, which I can't afford the payments on. And all right, bud, we'll stay in touch. Have a good day. And I was at, one of the top three lowest parts of my life because I was blindsided. I pride myself on being able to read people. I never saw it. And the agent was really cool. And he was like, he's a sociopath. And he goes, don't beat yourself up. And I go, dude, I didn't see it coming. Like even there, I just, I didn't see it. Right. And he was like, this dude would pass a polygraph. And he was like, don't beat yourself up for getting fucked over by that. Uh, I didn't know what to do. And so I went to this awesome little page on Facebook that had about 2,000 members called Drinking Bros. And I sent Evan Hafer. Oh, man. Sent Evan Hafer, Matt Bess, Rocco, and Jared each a message. And in that message, I said, this was four and a half years ago. In that message, I said, my name is Luke O'Hara. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm pretty lost right now. Thought I had a really good job. To this day, you could probably pull it up. I don't even remember what I said in it specifically, but I was like, I don't know if y'all can even help me. I just don't know what to do. And within two minutes, I got a reply back from Jared that said, what's your number? I gave Jared my number and he called me and he said- He's good about that. Yeah. He goes, where do you live? And I said, I'm in Georgia. He goes, what part? I said, Woodstock. He goes, okay, and hung up. And I was like- uh, okay. And at this point, <laughs> up to this point, I knew everything. Like I started following Matt when he obviously like, especially leaving Batina and everyone knew who Matt was, especially sure. when the video started coming yeah, yeah. out. So followed that. Remember the first promo for Black Rifle in the end of one of Matt's videos. Found out about Black Rifle. <laughs> Second roast y'all ever sold. Jumped on that. Mm-hmm. So I wish I'd kept the bag. That would have been rad. But jumped on that. So, and never lit, missed an episode of Drinking Bros. So at that point, um, I bled it. Like it was a community that I knew I wanted to be a part of and I would do anything to be a part of it. 
Jared reached out, called me back five minutes later and said, hey, actually, Art 15, our t-shirt place, Terminus, is five minutes from you. You have a job interview tomorrow. And he was like, it's not going to pay a lot, but hopefully it'll tide you over. Right. And when that happened, I swore to myself, I don't give a fuck what it is. I'm going to be a part of this community because that meant more to me at that point in my life. It wasn't a handout. It wasn't anything like that. It was just holy shit, these dudes actually practice what they preach. Walked in, got the job, $15 an hour folding t-shirts. And I had applied to contract because I was like, I need fast money. Because right. I wanted, I didn't want to file a bankruptcy. I wanted to try to keep up with those payments yeah. and pay everything off. Because I mean, that. You don't want that on your yeah, life. Um, like, I don't want to... Yeah. Oh, I got it, but... But no, like, <laughs> but if that's the goal, if like... I, I just knew I could You were work. trying to do whatever it took. So got a contract. And at that point, I didn't know the difference between DOD and DOS. So applied to every everything that I thought all my army buddies would tell me, this guy, this guy, this guy, applied to all of them to include Triple Canopy. And they replied back to me within an hour and was like, hey, we can fly you out here next week. Right. And I was like, man, I thought this contracting shit was easy. Like, oh, <laughs> like this shit's so fucking easy. Fly, quit, left there after like three weeks of working there and went to Kuwait and then very quickly found out the difference between DOD contracting and DOS. Linked up with two other guys over there that you kind of look at and you're like, you're like me. Right. Let's, let's be friends. And we're looking at everybody else's there, kind of just like feeling it out. Like, what do you, uh, what do, what's your background? What do you do? Uh, well, I worked at the mall for about six years and I was like, man, this doesn't seem right whatsoever. The other dude didn't even make it to the contract. He just left. He was a Marsoc guy. Right. And he's like, I'm out. And then I was like, got there and then find out, oh, hey, you're going to be a gate guard in Kuwait. And I was like, yeah, this fucking sucks. Yeah. But I rode, I rode it out and was lucky enough to get sent to Whips and then jump on Triple Canopy, then Sock for a little while. And then when we found out that we were pregnant, um, decided to quit it all and was like, I want to be home with my children. And left contracting. And then I was like, what's next? Ah, I'm going to use my GI Bill. So I went to school for welding because I want to actually spend my money on something I can make money on. So using up my GI Bill, went to welding school. And during that time, uh, I, I knew there was something else I wanted to do, but wasn't sure what that was. I just hadn't found that passion yet. And I was really enjoying welding. And I watched a YouTube video on blacksmithing and was like, oh, that's rad. I want to give that a try. Found out there was a really cool black uh, blacksmith school called Goat and Hammer in Atlanta and went and Goat, spent- Is it Goat and Hammer? Goat and Hammer. Okay. Run by uh, Mark Hopper and Jessica Collins. And I went and took one of their $120 knife. They was like, you take a railroad spike and make a little knife out of it. Right. And I took that and- Man, on there, like the feeling that that took making something from nothing and how focused I was because my brain runs a million miles an hour all the time. There's only two things that focus me and that's driving and blacksmithing. Everything else disappeared. And it was just like, I was so keyed in on that. And it was the first time anything like that had ever done that. I bought every class they had on the calendar after that. Like I didn't give, if it was making a bracelet, I was there. If it was making a knife, I did it. And eventually Mark was like, we're not going to get rid of you, are we? And I was like, no, <laughs> no. I'm broke. Like, I'm, going, I'm going to night school at night using the GI bill to pay for our rent and then blacksmithing all day long. And luckily during that year, was able to get good enough that People started buying knives, like friends and family. And when was this? And this was almost three years ago. Okay. 
So almost three years ago, um, started making knives and fucking rad <laughs> was really, was really enjoying it and just didn't know how I was going to make any money at it. And I was still doing security at nightclubs. So I was still running VIP security at a big nightclub in Atlanta. So I was still had a way to make money and then sell a little bit of my knives and the GI bill. So once I graduated welding school, getting a lot of awesome job offers because going to trades, don't go to college. Trades is way better. My first job offer was $35 an hour. Solid. Oh, buddy. Go to trades. And guess what? If you don't have a felony, you can make $60, $70, $80 an hour because 90% of my, I didn't go to a great school. 90% 90% of my class had a felony. I was one or four people out of 100 that didn't have a felony. Did we not, did crazy. We, did we we, not yeah, talk we about this? We, this. We, yeah. were, we did a podcast where we talked to, I sat here and I looked it up on my fucking phone and it's like 10 grand to get a certificate, right? Well, I had a bunch of people chime in on that, on, on that episode where they were talking about how much did it cost to get your welding and license? I went to an is actual, it a certificate or is it yeah, a license? It's, well, you have to get certified for certain kind of welding. So I graduated with a 2G and then I went and got certified in 6G pipe. So just, what, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, no, explain yeah, what both does that of mean? It's, it's, oh God, and I'm the worst because I didn't weld after that. So all right. of my knowledge, like I brain dump. If I don't so use basically it, it's descri- gone. Describe. You, you, you get certified the first one with so that. All that saying is that you were certified. So that was stick. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm not even going to say this right. It was, balls could probably explain way better than I could. But all that saying is that you can go onto a job and pass a welding test saying, I can start, I can do this exact kind of weld and it's not going to break and you'll pass it. Got it. Because okay. you have to do a bend test. So for my first one, you'll weld your lime, do mm-hmm. all, everything, and then they'll cut it and then they bend it. And if you don't break on your weld, you're good and that's passing your test. Got it. Okay. And then I wanted to get into TIG pipe, which is where the real money is. Mm-hmm. But I never had to use it. Because blacksmithing started taking off. Right. Awesome. And yeah, I was very lucky. But I think my school total was maybe 18. It was like 16 or $18,000 for right. a year. There you go, people. And, yep. and like I said, my first job offer, not having a felony is huge. And if you show up on time and you work, holy shit. Like you can make all the money. I got a Vegas offer just the other day or last year. And... It was for $75, $80 an hour. And that's not including per diem, travel, anything like that. That's, because, con- that's contracting money. No, it now, especially now. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, that's yeah. better than contracting money now, but yeah. Fuck, but it's, awesome. that's awesome. It's, yeah. it's, un- it's go, unreal. Just like you said, you know, say again. But go, back to, go through to, trades. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And Fuck. then there was an episode you did. It was in the top first 10 on launch code. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the context of it, but you shared a story and you talked about burning the boats. Yeah. Burn the boats. And you said- That, that was the name of the episode, I think. And mm-hmm. you said, burn the boats. And That's a great story. That, that podcast changed my life. And I was like, I really am enjoying making knives. I don't think I'm that good. I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm going to burn my boats. I'm going to quit everything and I'm going to put every single thing I have into this. And that's exactly what I did. And it sucked. <laughs> got, sucked ass. Got two, <laughs> two months two months behind on the mortgage. Uh, power got shut mm-hmm. off. Water got shut off. And I had photographed my entire shop to put up on Facebook Marketplace. Had a job interview to go for welding. And Sydney was like, just hold out. My Sydney, my fiance, she was like, just hold out for one more month. And I said, okay. That's I'll a power move. Out. I was like, I'll hold out for one more month. And then I got a phone call from Evan Hafer, who was the first time that we had talked. And he said, 
He hits me up and goes, hey, man, I kind of want to make like a bag opener thing. Like, what do you think? And I was like, oh, my God, that would be fucking rad. Like, let's do it all I've ever wanted. And this was right after the Drinking Bros cruise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, went on. Wow, I skipped a whole lot with Black Rifle. So start making knives. Everything was going well. A guy I worked for in Atlanta, they own one of the best bars called the Ivy, Jamie Sheeran, who also runs the Hunter Recruitment Project. Now. Amazing human. Yep. Uh, that Trevor got to go and be a part of. He owns a bar awesome, in Atlanta dude. called the Ivy that I used to work security at. He is also, his best friend is Baker Lovett. <laughs> so, Small fucking world. Who so buddy? me still wanting to be a part of this, I, I, never, I never wanted to just be a t-shirt folder or right. someone who works in the back. I wanted, I felt like I had more to contribute, but I didn't know how. So I got really into video uh, videography right when I got out, but you had Logan and Jared. Yeah. And I was like, that's not, that's not the way. Like they're so far ahead of me already. I'll never do it. And then when Drinking Bros News first started, I was supposed to be on that, but somebody else who had more background than me took a part of that over. And I was like, okay, that's not going to be it. What I, I don't know. And I kind of just gave up. I was like, if it happens, it happens. If I have a way to meet, and I'll never forget, I was working security at the door. Jamie walked in and I ran all our <clears throat> VIP. So if you had a table or anything, you walked through me and Baker's behind him. And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I walk Fucking up, I'm like, hey, Baker. And he's like, uh, who the fuck are you? And I'm like, my name's Luke. I'm a big fan of Black Sounds Rifle right. and Drinky Bros and everything. And I was like, uh, Jared actually helped me out in a big way a few years ago. And Baker being Baker goes, oh, that's cool. And then walks away. And then 10 minutes later, of course, fact checking me calls Jared or shoots him a text. And Jared being Jared goes, I remember exactly who that is. Yeah. And Baker goes, oh, no shit. You weren't bullshit. And that's awesome, man. <laughs> Had a great talk with Baker. And he was like, you make knives? And I was like, yeah, I'm just starting. He's like, that's rad. Let me get one. And I was like, okay. So I made Baker a knife. And then Baker got a knife. And then Lacey got a Lacey knife. Lacey got a knife. And then Brooke. Uh, oh, yeah, Brooke, Brooke got a little bear. Yep. Brooke got a knife. Yeah. And then it just started spreading. I have one of those. And then people started hitting me up. And then you got one of the very first ones. You got oh, one of my yeah. first ones when I got a maker's mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you reached out to me. And yeah, I think I was like, yeah, hey, I'm going on this trip. And Evan, for the record, <laughs> the podcast I was on recently, a lot of people asked this. He had, you had no idea no. that my bit, like you just, it was just so- it you can just, just smell it. You're like, somebody needs help. And, <laughs> and that check, that check, that Black Rifle cut me is what turned our power back on, got us cut back up on the mortgage. And because of what, with, through y'all's social media and your presence and everything, it launched my company. It took off. And after that, it was just, there was the exact push I needed to start doing what I love. But the problem was at that point, I was only doing custom orders, which right. if you get into knife making, you, unless you have a certain look or something like mm -hmm. right off the rip, that is just unbelievable. You have to start with customs if you want to make any money. You just, people hit you up. I like this, make it. Okay. And, right. but it wasn't fun. Yeah. So beginning of this year, I break my back. So finish the round. Ah, that was, and that was fucking crazy. Like you, you gotta, you gotta at least tell people how. Yeah. I dropped a thousand pound gun safe on top of me. Yeah. And you're a big guy. He tried so. to catch its fall. He was being... <laughs> he was, he was oh, you were saving out. the guns. I would have jumped out so fast if I wasn't on the ramp. I've ram. got you guns. So was it helping one of my best friends the day after? So yeah. Evan hits me up, bag openers. My life has just changed. The happiest moment up to date. Bag openers finish, which whooped my 
ass because I had never done anything more than five knives a week. I think I was talking to you like during that process. You're and like, the, oh my God, I'm so tired. And the first one, the first one was a batch for 50. Yeah. The first one was a batch of 50 and that took me two and a half <laughs> weeks. The second one was for 200. Yeah, 200. And... Cool, that, you can do 50? Can you do four times that? And, and, I even told, and I even told Evan after that, I was like, that almost killed me, man. That was intense. And he goes, awesome. Can you do 200? <laughs> and I was like, okay. So, bro, I, I was like, I'll figure it out. Just because like, for me, I was like, yes, whatever it is, yeah. yes. And I was like, I don't, and I was like, I could totally do it. And then the first one took me 50 in two and a half weeks. I did 200 in two weeks. Yeah. And didn't, I didn't have a life. Like it was, 14 hour days mm. for those two weeks finish it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm taking five days off. I'm not working. I'm fine. The day I, we took all the boxes, took them to the mail, drive over to my buddies to help move a gun safe and was loading it up. Guy on left guy on right guy on the back. When we were coming up the ramp onto the trailer, the gentleman on the back, instead of pushing from the base, he pushed from the top part. Uh. So I went from about 60 pounds of resistance to a thousand pounds of resistance real quick. And my feet were on the incline pulling it and I couldn't get my feet out. Oh, and I just, yeah. I couldn't get my feet out. Yeah. It was coming and then it just, everything stopped working. Right. I fell down. And the only thing that saved me is it had cast iron handles about an inch, inch and a half wide. Those split my leg, missing my nutsack by about an inch. Oh, wow. Split Shit. my leg and it bounced on the ramp because it was one of yeah, those like yeah. I, you know the ones you can see through like the handles bounce yeah so it bounces and the two guys on the left because the gentleman that did it push bad he came over and they had the wherewithal to push and I had so much adrenaline I was a lot bigger than so much adrenaline going we were able to flip it up and I rolled out and then I don't remember anything else holy fuck rolled out came to knew something was wrong because like it it popped like it just I don't really know. And it was pain, even with the adrenaline I had, because I knew if I was feeling that much pain... That's a big deal. It's it's not good. Right. And, and I couldn't really move, but I could kind of get up. And I called the bodyguard, one of my best friends, and I called Big Brian because he's... Big Brian, 6'6", probably 325, 345 pounds at the time. Just monster. And he's broken his back a couple of times from lifting. Um, and he, he's telling me everything. He's like, can you do this? Can you do this? And I go, yeah, but I'm in a fuck ton of pain. I can barely move. He goes, get in the truck. My back specialist is right down the road. Go to him. So they were able to pick me up, get me in my buddy's truck. Didn't call the ambulance or anything because I had the VA. Right. And I was like, I don't know if it's going to cover this. I don't know what the VA covers because right. never really used it. And went to the back specialist. They got me into his office and instantly he's like, go hospital, hospital. Now at this point, it's about 15 minutes. So now the pain is really hitting. And I started going in and out. I was holding like interlocked my buddy's hand while he was driving and just squeezing the door as hard as I could. And I mean, if we rolled over a needle, oh, right. it felt like we went over a speed bump. So I'm, tears are coming down my face, coming in and out of consciousness. And then I don't remember, I woke up in the hospital with about 15 medical personnel surrounding me. And this is week two of covid so like, it was right when, so this was, it was, I want to say it was March. So it was right when it got really aggressive and we were, right. we were on the so lockdown. this is when you got it. Yeah. So, and I had just moved because uh, the girl's mom and I had just separated. So I had just got a brand new house, had only lived there for a week by myself, finished these bag openers. The first thing I've ever made in my new shop and I break my back. 
So all of that happened and go to the hospital, fast forward the story, no internal. They thought I had ruptured everything in my stomach because the safe landed right below nipples. So everything from here down got crushed. So found out, fractured my L1 twice and my L2 twice and my ankle. And that was- Holy shit, you're lucky. That's luck isn't even, I don't know what I'd go like blessed divine intervention. No pelvis anything like that's insane. Yeah, I was so lucky. So couldn't walk, couldn't do anything on my own. Everyone's freaking the fuck out about COVID. Um, literally at a car table set up at the top of my stairs because I'm in one of those little split level houses where it's like four stairs down, then the front door and all that. Had a note on the door for Uber Eats saying, I promise I don't have COVID. I just broke my back. Can you please just drop the food off the table so I can reach it? Because I couldn't even get up to go there. Right. Luckily, I had some unbelievable friends and Sydney to her Man, she brought the girls every other day to see me, was helping, even though we had just broke up and I was kind of being a shithead at the time, um, was still taking care of me, checking in. And I'm not good at asking for help at all. I'll help everybody around me, but not the best at asking. Asking for help to take a shit, that was pretty hard for me. Not being able to eat to get my own water, that was pretty hard. And it was soul searching, man. And at that point, Gone through a lot of shit. Losing my dad, not the best early military experience. A whole bunch of stuff we're not diving into. Family, bankruptcy, starting a new business, all of it. And the only thing that's kept me going is through all the really shitty things that have happened to me, luckily there's been so many. And I say luckily, I mean that. Because six months later, I always look back and I see where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. And it's always mind-blowing to me. If you go into it positively and instead of like, oh my God, life sucks. Eh, What am I going to do? It's okay, what's going to come from this? And when so much has happened to you, that's the only way you can look at it. Right. Because I'm not putting a bullet in my head. I don't give a fuck. I've been there once before when I lost my wife. <laughs> that's a whole nother road we could go down. Uh, my best friend of essentially my entire life married my ex-wife. Um, they fell madly in love while I was overseas, literally bought houses in the same neighborhood, whole nine yards, and now they're married with two kids. So that okay. was a fun, that was a fun ride too, losing the person I loved more than anything on earth to the person I thought I loved right. more than anything on earth. So that was mentally the lowest I'd ever been. And I almost killed myself that night. And actually he is the one that kept me from doing it, which is really fucking twisted in a weird way. Whole point, a lot of shitty stuff has happened, but now looking at my little girls, the woman I'm about to marry, <clears throat> everything I look back and it's like, good. As gay as that is, it's like, good. I'm glad that happened. And I've seen so many things like that. That now when something happens, fuck it. All right, what's next? Like, I don't have time to sit around and cry about it. But that was the lowest, just having to ask for help. And uh, it was a lot of soul searching and a lot of a lot of growth. If I hadn't have bro- broke my back, I don't think I'd be here today. Um, just because the growth that I had in 2020, 2020 was the best year of my entire life. Because breaking my back made me think for a long time. And I was lost in my thoughts, which is somewhere I'm not a big fan of being. You probably mm-hmm. had a lot of alone, a lot of time. A lot of alone time. Yeah. yeah. And I was smoking a lot of weed. So <laughs> like a lot of that, brain time. Yeah. It was, it was a lot. Cause that's what I was using <clears throat> for the pain. Like I didn't touch any of my cause I got over 40 percent. Good on you. I had yeah. a buddy who broke his femur and his back and his both his heels and like basically everything from feet up to his pelvis fell off a roof. You met him, Kyle, mm-hmm. EOD cat. And he's like, do not give me opiates. Like I am not getting addicted to that shit. 45. Like, I thought it was between 40 and 45. 
Percocets, over 20 Oxys. Dude. And then I can't remember, it was over over 20 or 30 muscle relaxers. Like, it's not just like, oh, here's 10. No, right. it's as much it's, as you need. Oh, hey, let's get you hooked up. Right. Yeah. Didn't touch any of them. Um, which is why I recovered as fast as I did. I started working again lightly at three months. They told me I wouldn't walk for six and I wouldn't work for a year. Yeah, I remember what, that. I mean, is what the doctors told me. Because we had talked right around that scene, like right after you, you had, I heard you'd, I heard that it had happened. I think it was a couple weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, it was two weeks. So something you're not going to say that I gladly will is again, back to Black Rifle Coffee, two weeks into breaking my back. Obviously, as you all know, I make my entire living off of making knives. Uh, A hefty sum of money ended up in my bank account from Black Rifle that I was freaking the fuck out about because I was like, they already paid me. The bag openers already went out. This is a mistake. Reached out to Fiona here and I was like, hey, y'all fucked up. And Evan texts me and goes, no, nah, man, that's for the next order. I want another hundred. And I was like, you realize I just broke my back, right? And he was like, yeah, like whenever you get better, I want another hundred. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, man, get back on your feet. You're going to be fine. You got this. And that's the money that kept my lights on again, kept my mortgage. Because I didn't have a savings. Like that, the bag openers was the first order that I made a profit on. That was my first month where I was like, this is it. I'm going to make profit. I was like, I'm lined up. I have money in the bank account. Like all my, all my bills are paid for this month. Screw you, Chick-fil-A. I'm getting a steak. Yeah. I was like, everything that I make this month is profit. That's awesome. And I was like, this is rad. And I break my back. Damn it. So now I'm freaking out again, freaking out again. And then that two and a half months, that money for those bag openers is what kept me going again. And was lucky enough to be able to get to work. And when I came back to work on that one, I decided to not do custom orders anymore. And I was like, I want to make what I love. I want to put every bit of passion into it. I want to follow the steel as weird as it sounds. But I was like, if I see something, I like it. I want to chase it. I don't want somebody to hit me up and say, I want you to make this maker's knife, but cheaper for me. Or I want this with things sticking out or it's in a video game. Right. I wasn't enjoying it. Like what I loved when I first started blacksmithing was being lost in my thoughts and just making rad knives. And after breaking my back, I was like, all right, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm only going to do, I'm only going to do what I like. And if people want it, they get it. And if not, then I'll go weld. And you're doing some really cool stuff. I mean, yeah, it was that, it was that fresh restart and then made the bag openers and that, reminded people that I was alive and here. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, I've just been making my knives. And, and there's some freaking really cool ones. It's been an unbelievable experience. And then now just trying to give back and encourage as many people as I can to take a more positive route in life. Like what we were talking about at the beginning of this, like it's all negative, man. Like everyone are so focused on what that phone says and social media and everything else. What's that going to do? Like, can you control what just happened in, DC, can any of us? No. So I'm going to do what I do and try to bring some light to the world and like, do cool shit that can actually change something. If I'm nice to this person and hook somebody up with a knife or do a donation or help this out, that person could be nice to that person, which, hey, maybe they're about to go shoot a school up. And now they're not. Now this person, it's a domino effect, man. Oh, yeah. And all it takes is one person to not be a piece of shit. Dude, I've said it a number of times is it takes absolutely no effort not to be an asshole. None. Zero. It's a little bit of effort to be nice on purpose. 
you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be a dick. It takes and no, once, it takes no effort. Once you're nice, once you clear that mentality, yeah. once you get through those first few weeks of being nice and letting go of whatever was putting you in that bad mood or whatever got you agitated. Now it's a habit. It, it, it truly is. Yeah. Like I didn't know about anything that was going on in the world because yesterday I didn't have my phone. I've yeah. got my screen time down to under two hours a day on my phone. Right. And I know it sucks for some people trying to get a hold of me on social media and stuff, but every day I wake up, I answer 15 messages from every one of my inboxes. And that's it. And there's a bunch of them. There's a few. <laughs> yeah. um, I've seen it. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a really good point though, because a lot of people we've, we talk to, and we talk about it all the time, I think on the show too, which is you, you have to in, you have to invest your time, your energy into things that are going to, to pay off, right? It's an ROI. It's a return on your investment. Yep. If you continue to invest in negativity and negative things, you're going to yield what you're investing your time and energy in. That's what you're going to fucking yield. You're just going to yield more negativity, more time, more investment. So if you're... And, and, it's, and, and, and you're <laughs> you, right. It sounds you're trying a to bit, bail out a boat that's got a hole in it. Yeah, it, 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 it sounds, ain't going to happen. It sounds trite because it, it's interesting. It, you, you, we have like all these books for our kids, right? And there's the subtle messaging of these stories, you know, paying it forward and being kind and all that shit. But at the end of the day, there is a really valuable lesson in that. I think as adults, people lose sight of a lot of those things where they start investing more and more and more of their time into a negative aspect and specifically social media, there's always more time. It's an infinite amount of time that you can invest in negativity, right? There's there's never an end to it. Well, there's and- never an end to it. That's one of the, the things that we've talked about mm-hmm. at Black Rifle Coffee, which is we will not contribute to negativity. We entertain, we inform, we inspire. Those are the three pieces of information that we put out on a regular basis, but we will not directly contribute to negativity on the internet because it doesn't fucking do any good. And oh, by the way, bats don't need more negative shit being spewed on the fucking internet. They don't need any more. And the, uh, I mean, I know you know it verbatim, the, for free range, our mission statement, right? Totally speaks to that. To live the American dream through hard work and adventure. Like there's nothing about that that says negative shit. Yeah. Right. Nothing. And it's all positive. It's all positive. And it's not hard to do. It's, like it's it, easier. Yeah. I just tell <laughs> Your people, life gets easier. And one of the things I tell so many of my friends is like, what makes you happy? Now, like not a Lambo or a million dollars, but like right now, what could you do to make you happy? And so many of them will tell me something. I'm like, do it. Do yeah. the thing. Like, why why not? Like, what, what's holding you back? Well, uh, just do it. Like, take it, take a small risk. Just if because Passion bleeds through. And if whatever you're doing truly makes you happy, not saying that everyone will find success in it, but if you truly just take a leap of faith. That also doesn't mean you have to stop doing it, right? Like you're passionate about blacksmithing and making knives. But if for whatever reason that wasn't working, you'd probably still be making some knives after you figured out what to do to pay the bills. A hundred percent. Exactly. And I never got it. I never, ever, ever thought that this would turn into what it has. Yeah. I never got into this to make money. It was a hobby I was going to weld. Sounds familiar. And yeah. because of that, it's turned into this now where my, when I do a drop, they're gone in 15, 20 seconds. It's so cool and to see. It, back to that, I don't know, bless, lucky, it blows my mind every time. Every drop, if you knew the amount of anxiety I have, because I know that this is the drop that they don't sell. 
Right. And they sit there and everyone, it goes faster and faster and faster. And it's, I just want people to know, like when you do get one, I know it takes a long time. I get the DMs all the time of it's, I've got one girl who I'm actually making her a knife because I saw her DM. She's been trying for a year. And every time, I think five times it's been in her cart. And by the time she loaded in her payment info, it was gone by the time she clicked submit. And I saw that and was like, I don't give a shit. I'm making you a knife. Like, that's cool as fuck. But when you do get one of them, none of them are the same. Every single one of them is handmade by me. I'm the only one that touches them. And they're all going to be different. You're buying something that you're going to have for the rest of your life that nobody else has. Mm -hmm. So if you love it and as more awesome things come, be patient. Because when you do, I'm going to make it special and it's going to be pretty fucking rad. Yeah. And there's a lot of really good points in in this, which is, you know, for me, I love roasting coffee, right? So I've been roasting coffee. Obviously, I think people have heard me talk about it, right? I've been roasting coffee for a long time, you know, and I love just the the, the entire process. I would still, if I was doing something else, so if I had like failed at this business and done, gone off and done something else. I would still have a one pound roaster in my shop. There it is. Roasting coffee that I was ordering from weird, obscure countries, dreaming about going on a trip somewhere to go to a coffee farm and talk to the fucking growers and, you know, pull apart the leaves and look at the cherries and talk to people about how they're, you know, their agriculture practices and all this other shit that goes into coffee, I would still be like peeling the onion on this on a daily for the rest of my life. I would do it for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I would still be doing it. I would be doing it as a hobby. I would be doing it as something that I really loved. The exclusive coffee subscription was one of those things where I was, we were, you know, obviously we were selling coffee and we had our core roast. We still have those, but I didn't get to, get involved in that process all the time because those those core roasts are locked. Like I locked a lot of those in in like 2008, 2010, 2012. Those are coffees that I've roasted at this point hundreds of thousands and millions of pounds of. I'm not reinventing the wheel on those things, right? So every month now, I get to do a new coffee through that. I get to do, you know, a new bag design, I get to do a new coffee, which means I get to do what I love. And it's every fresh, month, and, it's and I have to do it every month. It, it's a forcing function that allows me to dive back into the company in a way that I'm like super passionate about. We have our coffee lab downstairs that you're get, getting coffee in. I get to talk to Ed. I get to, you know, Edwin's been here. That's my first forever. stop every day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my first stop. <laughs> I'm every going day. into I walk, through, I walk through the back. Where do you think this came from? I put my briefcase down in the stairs. I sit there. I make coffee. We're doing this whoosh whoosh right now where it's, it's so like, good. it's so good. <laughs> and it's like, and it doesn't get old for me. Like it doesn't get old if I'm doing a pour over in the morning, if I'm doing an espresso shot, if I'm making people coffee in the, in the, in the coffee shop upstairs it does, or, or out front, it just doesn't matter. So, you know, when you're an artisan, you really love it. And people always say that they're like, You'll find it's like a fucking meme or a Pinterest meme where they're like, find what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. And it's like, no, that's not true. I work more than I've ever worked in my entire life. Ask my non-existent friends. (laughs) Unless what you love is winning the lottery. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I 
love winning the lottery. That okay. shit works. Found it. That shit works for Trustafarians, man. <laughs> like that shit works for people that have like got fucking rich parents and uncles and dads but or whatever. Yes. They're like, find what you love. Like, go explore your fucking whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's great. But you still have to work your ass off. Like, you have to work harder than you ever have. I've explained this. I would rather go back to selection, SFAS, back to back and do it every day for a year than go through my first year in business. I would do it every day. No problem. I would get up fucking happy as shit because I'd be like, dude, at least I don't have to do that other year again. <laughs> oh man. I don't have to do that year again. And I'm and I'm stressed out hanging out in my garage just making a couple knives a week. Like I couldn't even imagine like that. But again, yeah. So maybe you work a hundred hours a week, but I'm doing something I love. Yeah. I work in my ass and I'm stressed the fuck out. But at the end of the day, I love it. And now I'm at the position following y'all's lead where it's like, okay, now how can I give back? How many organizations, Grizzly Forge donated $15,000 this last year. It's crazy. Um, And it's just from half the shit y'all post yeah. up or we did the Toys for Tot thing this we year. Did. We donated with you guys. And now, and then the beginning of this year, again, positivity, that's my shit. Like that's what I'm about giving back. We just started a program called the Grizzly Give Back where similar to Drinking Bros in a sense, where the Drinking Bro of the Week you can submit someone who you think deserves one of our knives. And starting off at one a month, we're going to go through, we're going to read all those stories, find that one, highlight it, share a photo of them, why they're getting one of my knives. And we're going to make them a rad ass fucking knife to say, thanks for not being a piece of shit because so many people are highlighting all of this negativity. So why not reward somebody for actually doing the right thing? Because huh. I'm sure they would have done it anyway, just like I do the things I do, or you mm -hmm. guys, you're not looking for a pat on the back or to get highlighted. But when it does happen, it feels kind of good. Like yeah. it, it's a good feeling when you're like, oh, hell yeah, I actually, I'm going to keep doing that. Like that's pretty nifty. And that's something that we're going to try to do. It's nifty. Yeah. And, we, and we've been able to, like, that's one of the things I'm more proud of, I think, than a lot of other things that we've been able to do in the company. You know, at 440 employees at this point. But, well, I think 2020, we were just at a million dollars at give back. And uh, that's like, you know, coffee sent overseas. That's coffee to first responders. That's direct cash donations to a wide variety of veteran law enforcement, like mainly veteran nonprofits. And when I send $10,000 to you know the Global War on Terror Fund or the you know Hunter 7 Foundation or well I gave to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and some of these other foundations that are non-vet related but they're things that we're really passionate about like conservation and veterans issues and all of these things tie together right so I'm huge into this idea that we have to have this positive impact but that positive impact can't just come from direct cash it has to be like work has to plug in on some side of this people and the value of all of this, like these, these, you know, the, in this hyper materialistic society that we live in, and this isn't an anti-materialism rant, it's we can't take this shit with us, right? We don't get to like bury ourselves. We can, I guess. I mean, you can like tell your wife that you want to fucking you know, take all the cash you out of your bank account <laughs> and bury it. Burn it bitch. Man, you can't take it with you. And I, I I've been able to give uh, a lot of direct donations to people that really fucking need it that uh, 
deserve it. That deserve it. And it's life-changing. Like I paid for grad school for a guy at the end of the year and uh, it's life-changing for him. And it's in direct response because he's been directly involved in veteran nonprofits for the last several years. He's been trying to get into grad school. I know he's been working his ass off. He needs to take the GRE, but he gives so much back to veterans. And I just sent him a check. I was like, there you go. Grad school, make it happen. Grad school, homie, make it make make it happen. That's all. I, that's all I expect. What What do I expect? He's like, what do you? What is it? What, you know, like not the strings. He knows I'm not that kind of guy. But it was like it was very emotional for him. It was super emotional for me because I get a lot of happiness out of that. Whereas it's the best, and that's the what best. people don't realize when best. you give back and you do it. We did, again, thanks to Black Rifle, I just did a massive collaboration piece where we made a really, really sick blade. It was awesome, yeah. Um, coming out of that, I found two makers that I really looked up to, had no, knew nothing about them. Um, reached out to them on social media just because one of them, Gunstone, he had just started full-time, which is terrifying as a knife maker. Going I would imagine, full-time. yeah. He had just gone full-time and the other guy's one of the best leather makers I'd ever seen. The nicest dude, both family guys. And he had nothing of a following or anything. And I was like, why is this guy not huge? Like his stuff's amazing. Reached out and was like, let's do a, let's do a collaboration piece. Like we'll do it under black rifle. Cause I'm good friends with those guys. You make a rad ass handle with like coffee, came up with putting coffee beans in it, actual That's black awesome. rifle yeah. coffee beans, learned cool, how to stabilize them. That's a cool knife. Learned how to stabilize them. And then the other guy did the leather and all of that. It was, a. it started off. I thought gun to my head, maybe $1,500 right. when we auctioned it. And I was taking that money. I wasn't doing this to make a penny of it. It was, I wanted to give it back to them. As long as they made enough, what the work would be worth. I just was nervous. I wanted to cover that. It ended up going for $6,500. And it jumped really fast at that last little bit. The person that won it, there were four people bidding on it. And it went from a little over $5,000 to $7,000 in 30 seconds. And the last one we saw when the end of the auction was was right at 6,500 and reached out to the top four people. Like, why the fuck are you doing this? Like we are freaking out. And I was like, do I know you? Like, why are you <laughs> right. doing this? One dude is an unbelievable, like a very well-known bulldog breeder. The other guy turns out to be a franchisee for black rifle. Right. And then the other guy will remain nameless, but they were just cool dudes that want to be a part of something awesome and find out that the person I reached out to that won it is like, Oh, Hey, hit me up on WhatsApp. And I was like, great. I just got ripped off. <laughs> Find out she's an active duty Marine in right. Afghanistan who <laughs> did this auction 12 hour time difference. I believe that's what it is. Won it. I reached out to her and I'm like, that's a lot of money for a Marine. Yeah. Like that's a good chunk. And she goes, well, I had it saved and I wanted to give back to a small business. That was my Christmas thing. And I choked up like a mother. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, well, we're going to throw in an extra knife. We're going to throw in a wallet. We're going to throw in all this extra stuff because this is so crazy. And she's like emotional. She's like, I can't believe I won because she is stationed on an army base. She's the only Marine on an army base as a female because of what her MOS is. Wow. And so you're already ostracized from your people. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Made a really cool post about it. And then the gentleman who was the franchisee for Black Rifle reached out to me within a minute and goes, nah, bro, give me your PayPal. I'm paying for it. So he goes and pays for her knife, which I start bawling my eyes out on the phone with this dude. No, still to this day, don't even know his room. Like, don't know who he is. And he goes, yeah, man, suck it up. 
And he was like, <laughs> we're doing some cool shit. And he was like, I didn't serve. I wanted to give back. He goes, I'm not, not on my watch. He goes, an active duty Marine's not paying for this shit. So <laughs> to, I wish I hadn't done it, but I did. Went straight to my back porch and sat down and went straight to a video, bawling my eyes out like, this is why I do this shit. Like, this is so much came from this. Reach out to her and I'm like, it just got paid for. Like, I'm sending back all that money and now she's like bawling her eyes out and she's <laughs> like, but I want to donate it. So right. I still want to donate the money and I go, enjoy this. I don't want it. I'm not going to keep it. I'm sending right. it back to you. I was like, if you want to donate it, I can give you, I can get some really right. awesome nonprofits that will actually use the money. And I was like, I can hook you up, but I enjoy this. Like, let somebody do something for you yeah. for the holidays. She still donated the money, but it just, all the good that came out of that just blew me away. I got to help out two rad makers. Well, three, a photographer who now works for Black Rifle Coffee. Um, found an awesome photographer on Instagram who did some cool photos of coffee bags. And I reached out to Josh and I was like, hey, dude, you want to like photograph this knife? So I forged it, went to Gunstone for the handle, went to Imperial Leatherwork for the leather, and then went to Josh and he photographed it and did all those awesome photos. They're awesome. Yeah. And then now he works at Black Rifle. The other dude's business, the last three drops he's done have sold out in seconds. And the other dude's just kicking ass on leather. And now I have an unbelievable partnership with him and we'll be doing really sick. Anytime I have a high profile knife, he's going to do the leather for me. And then people got to see a really nice dude help out a girl overseas serving right. her country when the world is kind of burning. A lot of really cool shit happened. And then I get a phone call from Evan Hafer mm -hmm. that exact weekend. Knife drops, losing my mind, bawling my eyes out. All this is happening. Guy pays for it. That Saturday night, I receive a phone call from Evan Hafer saying, hey, bud, you want to move to Salt Lake? <laughs> I've heard this story before. <laughs> and that's where we are today. Evan's yeah. collecting humans. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like good people, man. I, I like, you know, uh, we got extra space here. So it was a pretty easy one. It's like, you're basically part of the Black Rifle family. We, we, everybody knows you at this point in the company. It was a pretty easy decision. I was like walking through the shop and I was like, man, we, be rad because we talked about it a few times in the last year. Some mm -hmm. change we talked about maybe moving to Texas. And I was like, we got this great big shop right here. We should put in a forge. Like we should have Lucas out here forging knives. Like, and truly, all it was was like, hey, we we could do some shit together. We can still do these collabs. We can you can still make all your knives. And oh, by the way, we can also do some stuff for veterans. So we can put together a program that an apprenticeship program where guys come out and do knives here at Black Rifle with you. So we'll be announcing that in the next few months. I mean, we basically have just now, but as far as like applications and things like that, we'll figure that shit out like down the road. But I'm stoked, man. Like I'm, I'm super fired up because you're always like the positive guy in the room. You breathe positivity, you bring it every fucking day. And you're just an awesome person to truly kind of bring into I'm this a piece of shit. I don't know everything. I don't know. About. I am, you are full of shit. Uh, I, I really love the fact it. that you're coming out. So, so yeah, officially Grizzly Forge is leaving Atlanta, Georgia, where I've lived my entire life. And I'm packing up my amazing fiance here. and my two little girls. And we are about to come play in the mountains for, I don't think we'll ever end up back home. I, I hope think, not. I, I hope think uh, out West it. has officially become home and, we're setting up right here at the Black Rifle Compound and we're going to do some really cool shit. 
Welcome to Utah. Lucas, thank you so much for being on Free Range American. Where can people find you? Uh, Instagram is grizzlyforge. Uh, Email is thegrizzlyforge.com and the website is thegrizzlyforge.com. That's it. No Facebook, no Twitter. I despise almost everything online and or social media. So I do not and will not ever have one of those. If you shoot me a DM, please be patient. And if you do get one of my knives, I promise nobody else has one like that. And I'm not stopping. I'm never... My goal is I don't ever want to become a massive company with a million employees and all that. I want to stay passionate. I want to enjoy every knife I make. And I will be the one that touches every one of them. Um, So that's about it. Fucking A. Awesome, dude. Thanks, Lucas. And thank you enough, guys. Yeah, buddy.